Let's pray together. Father, your word is recorded a very serious question. What is man that you are mindful of him? That you would even think of him and love him so much and give so much to restore the broken relationship between ourselves and you. Only in your mind could you have conceived such a plan of salvation. And Lord, we are the recipients of all of its benefits and blessings. We pray, Father, that as we pause for this brief time together, that, Lord, you would weigh heavy upon us, Lord, the impact of what you have done. Thank you, Father, for the preparation that has been given to us through the singing of songs and the reading of Scripture. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The death of Christ on the cross of Calvary is more than just a reason to have a holiday. Perhaps for some, maybe for most in this world, that's all it means. Through the death of Christ, God accomplished many great things. When we better understand these blessings and benefits, we can appreciate all the more God's sending His Son to die on the cross. The death of Christ is important, for it is God's solution to solving a divine dilemma. You might say, but He's God. There can't be any dilemmas with Him. Oh, but there is. Because in the death of Christ, God solves the dilemma of how is it possible that God can save a sinner from the penalty of sin and still be righteous and just. Truth be told, man sinned. He ought to be separated from God. He should pay for his sins. Sins and wrongdoings must be atoned for and God's holiness satisfied. That's the truth of the matter. And yet God brilliantly solved this problem. And he does this through the doctrine of justification. It helps explain what God has done to solve this problem. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 24 to 28. And when we come to this passage, we read in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, these words. It says, being justified as a gift by his grace to the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And our first stop takes us to the word justification. What is the meaning of justification? It means to declare one not guilty. All right? To put it another way, it's a legal term from the Greek, and it means uh, to declare righteous, to acquit, or to find a defendant not guilty. God puts the righteousness of Christ in our file in place of our record of sinfulness. He replaces it. That's what he does. And so Warren Wisby accurately says this. He says, justification is the act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Christ based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. Now, please note, please note that justification is an act. It is not a process. It's not something that comes to us in le- at levels, different levels, or in different degrees. But once it is enacted, once it happens, it happens. And the sinner is declared righteous. 
Also look in verse 24 and you'll see it says, it, uh, uh, see, it is a gift. It is a gift. It's not something to be earned. It's not something that we deserve. It's a gift that was given to us by God. It is also permanent. In verse 24, the word justified, the way it's written in the Greek, it means a one-time act, continuing uh, 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 ongoing results. Once a believer is declared righteous or justified, he or she has dealt with the question of guilt in their life permanently. And that sometimes really hurts people. It's, it's something that in the back of our minds, no matter how long we've been going to church, no matter how long we seem to have known Jesus Christ as our Savior, there is that lingering doubt, can I lose my salvation? Is it, a, is it possible that God will change his mind? He tells me I am not guilty now, but then he turns around and says, oh, but you are. That one got you. <laughs> that one, I'm revoking <laughs> your justification. See? But here, the Word of God plainly says that it is a one-time act and its ongoing um, action is permanent. It also removes the, removes the penalty of sin. So much so that in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when we think again of this act, that God does, the act of declaring us not guilty. Think of it, my friend, think of it as removing us completely from the penalty of sin. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14 says this, when you were dead in your transgression and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You say to yourself, wow, that's a lot. He accomplished all that on the cross. Yes, he did. The death of Christ effected justification. It affected Christ, God coming back with a verdict of not guilty for each of us. The famous preacher in the U.S. by the name of Anthony Evans put it this way. Through Jesus Christ, we have a pardon from the penalty of sin and peace with God. That is what justification means. No one, not even Satan, can come into, our, into the heavenly courtroom and accuse us of sins because God has already rendered the verdict. He, we are declared righteous. We are declared righteous. God has acted to remove the penalty of sin by permanently declaring us, each believer, not guilty. And that's an important fact, and I want you to hang on to that because that is what we have as those who put their faith and trust in Christ. But the passage goes on. How did God accomplish this feat? Well, if you look at verse, the second half of verse 24 and onwards, you'll find out how. The, we are justified by God himself. If you look at verse 24, as a, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, it said. And so when you look at that and, and link it up with a verse, uh, the later verses, you find that it was God who takes a major role in this whole process. It is God 
who makes it happen, this act of justification. He says it's an act of his grace. And then if you went to Romans chapter 8, verse 30 to 33, you'll find even more of these great truths that are in there. And you find that in verse 30, And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. These whom he justified, he also glorified. There is no doubt that God was the one behind this. God was the one behind this. The word he shows up six times in this verse. Count them. There's six times. It makes no, it ma- it makes no bones. There's, there's, no, there's, there's complete clarity as to the role of God in this whole uh, event. Verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. And so if we stop and think for just a moment and we ask ourselves, how can I be declared righteous? How can I be declared not guilty of my sins? We have to go back to God because God is the one who did it all. God himself handled it. There is no other higher authority, no higher course of appeal, no right. uh, We went right to the top. It is done. It is finished. Aren't you glad of that? Because sometimes I know that we think to ourselves, oh, I don't like that verdict. I just want to go to the next guy. Let me speak to the manager. Let me speak to the, <laughs> let me talk to the regional manager. Let me talk to the boss, you know, and I'll just get it. God says, let's cut that out. He says, you're going right to the top. I'm the one that's going to handle this thing. So God himself handled it. We are justified by God's grace and mercy. Again, if you go back to Romans chapter 3, And you read a little further, and then you read that it is through his grace, the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, he says, and you find that he mentions the word by his grace, by his grace. Now, many of you who have accepted Christ as your Savior, the word grace is precious to you, right? Each one of us. We love grace. We love grace. But the Bible also tells us that we are saved by his mercy, okay? In in verse 24, he says, we are saved by, it's a gift by his grace. Then in Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 7, he said this, he saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his, what? Mercy. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, don't get these two mixed up. They're very, they're linked. They're like twins. Grace, grace is what? Grace gives us, God gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy, God does not give us what we do deserve. You see, those are very important. And those are terms that we hold dear to ourselves. And so when you leave here, don't just think of the love of God. Think also of the grace and mercy of God that is behind justification. Seeing that we lacked righteousness and couldn't get it on our own, God provided the way out of his grace and his mercy. How else did he affect this? We are justified by the blood of Christ, verse 24 through 25. He mentions verse 24, which is in Christ, verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Now, look at those three words. Redemption, propitiation, and blood. All right? 
Now, at first, you might say to yourself, uh, I'm, not, I'm not too familiar with those terms, okay? Redemption refers to us being purchased, being the sinner is purchased and then set free, okay? People said this word was often used to describe a slave who was in the slave market. And what happens is God comes in and he buys us, he purchases us, but instead of keeping us, he sets us free. But he says, this redemption is in Christ. Then he turns around and says, he uses the word propitiation. It's a great scrabble word, but if you don't know what it means, you're going to miss it, all right? Propitiation means it's a a propitiatory sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice, a sacrifice that satisfies the requirements of God, God's holiness, God's law, and everything else. It meets the just demand so that God can freely forgive those who come to Christ. Then he uses the last word in verse 25, the blood. Christ had to die. Now, how can we link all these together? How can we link redemption, propitiation, and the blood? All right? Some of you will remember that as the children of Israel went through uh, their relationship with God, that they had built what they call the tabernacle. Right? And the tabernacle was composed of many different compartments. And one of those compartments, only the high priest could go into. All right? The Holy of Holies. Inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And so what happens is that once a year, once a year, the high priest would take two goats. On one goat, he would, he would choose this goat, and he would say, this one is the one to be slain. And so it's... Uh, throat was slit, the blood was drained out, and then it was sprinkled over the mercy seat, okay? Signifying the blood covering the sins of the nation. It was that it would uh, satisfy the requirements of the law. The two tablets of the law were inside the ark. What did they do with the second animal? The second animal, the high priest would come out, he would lay his hands on that animal, he would confess the sins of the nation upon it, And then the goat was taken into the wilderness and released. Why? Because it signified the sins being carried away, being uh, taken care of. And so those three concepts, redemption, propitiation, and the blood, were all demonstrated in that day of atonement. Okay? And so he goes on to say this fact. And he says, this was, he says that... um, in verse 25, he says, Whom God displayed public as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Why did God not judge every sin of his people in the Old Testament? It was because he was looking forward to the final sacrifice, which would be in Jesus Christ. So even back then, Even back then, God had a plan in mind, and he was working it out, okay? And so what happens is when we see Christ then, we see that Christ took our punishment. He took our place. Now, have you ever read the scriptures and wonder why God does something? I often, (laughs) it's not that I'm smarter than God. It's just that I like to think God could, God being God could have figured out a different way to do this, right? He could have done it. But why did he choose this way of doing it? Having his son die on the cross, having his blood shed for us. Well, if you look at the latter half of verse 25, it gives us that explanation. 
This was to demonstrate His righteousness. To demonstrate His righteousness, meaning God's righteousness. You see, God is holy. God is loving. We all know that. Okay? And so what happens is that because God in His love wants to forgive sinners, He wants to be restored with sinners. Out of His love, He does this, and He chose that way. But He's still a holy God. He cannot let sin just go unpunished. If he did so, he would be going against his very nature. He would no longer be a holy God. He would no longer be a righteous God. And so he chose this route. He chose this route of pouring out his wrath upon his son. And this is what is accomplished on the cross. By sending Christ to bear the wrath of God against sin, no one can accuse God of being inconsistent or unjust. The sins of mankind were atoned for in Christ. Well, how does that become effective for us? Obviously, not everybody is a Christian. Not everybody believes in Christ. Not everybody, okay, is, is, is buying this. Not everybody is adopting this. Not everybody is accepting this. Who accepts it then? Who makes, it, who makes this justification effective for their life? Well, it's those who believe uh, in Christ. For, he says, if you, the, in, if you read the latter half of the verse there, it says, in, in verse 25, it says, This was to demonstrate his righteousness because of the forbearance he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of this righteousness at the present time, so that he would be the just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. Okay? So it's very clear here. It's the way that one makes this justification, this verdict, real in their life is when they put their faith and trust in Christ. If you'll look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we who have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may become justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Some people say, well, faith is too easy because they think, I can, I can fool anybody. I, I can pretend I'm, I'm, you know, doing faith, you know. But faith is very real and faith is very practical. Think about this for a minute. My wife and I have been made several trips back and forth from here to the United States and other places. Now imagine this. It takes faith to get on that airplane. Doesn't it? You betcha it does. I don't know the pilot. I don't know the mechanics who worked on the, on the plane. I don't even know if the plane is sound. All right? But I exercise what? Faith. You see? Faith is not easy, folks. It's not something to be toyed with. It is not something to be treated casually. Faith is real. And that's what God's asking of you and me. He's asking us to have faith in Him, to exercise that faith, that Christ died on the cross and rose again from the grave for our salvation. God justifies us out of His grace and mercy when we receive Christ by faith as our personal Savior. Justification becomes effective in our lives.
Now, if you look down further to the last two verses of this section, 27 through 28, you find an amazing thing. It's just like Paul. We all know he's a smart guy, all right? But it's just like under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he anticipated the response from people. And it's the response that most people have towards hearing about the gospel of grace that comes to us. What is it? It has to do with works. You see, there are always people who are going to say that I'll earn my salvation. I will earn my salvation. In fact, they go to different faiths with the idea that if they pick the right one and the one that they think has enough works in it, they're going to fulfill the whole uh, idea of salvation. Well, what does Paul say? Look at verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So today, if you're here and you... Uh, came anticipating and maybe perhaps God will answer some question and, that you have burning in your heart, well, God is saying this to you if you happen to put a lot of, real, a lot of stock in works. And so he says here, obviously, a man is not saved by works. He said the same thing if you look in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that of not yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Put a different order, but he said the same thing. <laughs> okay? We can't boast. We can't say we earned our salvation, because works doesn't count. Okay? And that's what justification does. Justification is an act by God in which he declares us not guilty. It is an act of God by which he says that we are righteous. It is an act of God that is, comes into play when we exercise our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I would really be derelict if I just stopped here for just a moment. Some of you would say, good, I'm glad he's stopping, <laughs> but... I'd be derelict if I didn't tell you the whole story because we also see the marks of justification, okay? And when I say marks, I mean when a person truly puts his faith and trust in Christ, their life changes. Their life changes. Well, how does it change? Well, in several different ways. If you turn to Romans, the book of Romans chapter 5, here are just two ways that are mentioned. Number one is found in verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 5. And what it says there is that, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Now, theologians like to pick on things, and so they'll pick on this mightily, all right? The first thing that's clear is that we have peace with God. And this peace of God is not just a cessation of hostilities. It also carries the idea that a former enemy becomes a personal friend. Wow. So, God 
didn't stop by just saying, I'm not mad at you anymore. But God actually draws alongside and becomes, I will be your friend. I will be your companion. Verse 2 also says, we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. What is he talking about? The justification by faith gives us access to a grace relationship with God. Now, this is hard for people, especially those who really have their faith based on works. They can't understand this. God is so gracious. He is so gracious to me. We enter into that because of what God has done by justifying us. The last one is hope. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. When it looks like it's all over, when there's nothing more that can be done, it's not all over. There is more that can be done because of our God. We always have hope. God is on our side. He's with us. And we always have hope. When we are justified, our whole attitude towards life's trials and tribulations also change. Okay? I happen to know that there's a lot of people in our community, in our congregation, who are going through some mighty trials. Home, school, maybe even at church. I happen to know that. All right? But our attitude can change. How does it change? Look at verses 3 to 5. It says there in verse 3, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we start looking at our trials and tribulations as they build up in our lives. And they are not here to tear us down, but rather to produce good in us. What good? Perseverance, which is patience. Proven character, literally to test the purity of our metal. And then hope, it changes our expectations. We, when we are justified, we become part of God the family of God, and we relate to Him and to our circumstances in a new and better way. I wish I could say this more powerfully. I wish I could say it in such a way that all of you would just be struck to the heart, struck to the soul, and said to yourself, wow, wow, that is true. That is true. Once I enter into this relationship of uh, grace with God, well... The original question was, how can a holy God spare an unholy sinner and still be just? Many people, even those in the scripture, have wrestled with this. Job asked the same question this way, but how can man be in the right before God? The psalmist asked the questions in Psalms 130. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The answer is obvious. No one and no way can possibly, apart from God, do this. And he did it. He declares us not guilty, declaring us justified. So, if you have not accepted Christ as your personal Savior, it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've achieved or what you have not yet achieved. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do everything with your putting your faith in Christ as your personal Savior. 
And you can do this by A, acknowledging your need for, to be saved. B, believe that Christ died on the cross for you. And then C, call upon the name of the Lord so that you may be saved. Put it simply, it goes this way. You can say a prayer in your heart right where you are right now. And you can say something like this. Dear God, I realize that I am a sinner and I can't save myself. There's no works that I can do that can possibly make up for, this, for the sins that, uh, sinfulness that I am. I believe you sent your son to die on the cross to take the penalty of, for my sins. By faith, I accept Jesus as my Savior and invite him to come into my life and save my soul. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Sounds easy, doesn't it? But I guarantee you, I've spoken to many people about accepting Christ as their Savior, and you can see the sweat on their brow because it's so hard to do. And it doesn't matter whether they're children or they're adults. It doesn't matter. They all struggle with this. And so I urge you, while you can, please make this decision. But this also means that we can face those trials and tribulations in our life with more confidence and courage, all right? Why? This brings whole new meaning. Remember, he said that we enter into this grace, remember that? This grace relationship with God. It brings all new meanings to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Everybody knows verse 28. But do you know there's a verse 37? And verse 37 says, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. You know verse 28, add verse 37 to your collection because that's exactly what happens when we enter into this grace relationship with God, made possible because God has justified us. He is the one who has made it effective. God put the penalty for sin on Christ and declares us not guilty. Out of his matchless grace, he has justified us and made it possible for us to have forgiveness of sin and eternal fellowship with him. Now, I'll end this with just this one statement. And I hope that you'll take this as a challenge. This final statement is, the only thing worse than being guilty is staying guilty. The only thing worse than being guilty is staying guilty. When God has provided the way to be declared not guilty. There are millions of people in this world who still wallow in their guilt. And it's real. And here is God saying, I am ready to declare you not guilty. How many of us here in this room need to really consider that. God has done a wonderful thing by justifying us. And I'm so glad that he did this. Because without him, it would not be possible. Can you, can you, can you, can you, can any of us in this room do works that are good enough to remove 
the penalty of sin? <laughs> no, we can't. That's why God stepped up and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and to take the penalty for us. Now, this doesn't leave us with a vacuum. It doesn't leave us with a situation where we say, what else can we do? What else can we do? God has done a wonderful thing through Jesus Christ. He instituted the Lord's Supper. All right? And the Lord's Supper is a way of taking everyday elements, drink and food, and use them to remind ourselves of what God has done. And I hope with all my heart that after this time together, you now better understand what was accomplished by Christ dying on the cross for you and you and you and for me. And as we take these elements, I hope that God will impress upon your heart the gravity and the seriousness and the depth of what he has done for us. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward or those who are going to help us serve the Lord's Supper. And while they're coming, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Thank God for the salvation he has made possible. Thank God for declaring us not guilty. Thank God for declaring us righteous in his sight.